Hey fellow brain pickers and welcome to episode 102 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today I actually have my first billionaire guest on my show which is really exciting. I had an incredible, incredible time with Jeff Hoffman of Priceline and Booking.com and we basically went through his journey of how he became a billionaire and we actually used the analogy of baking a cake and we came up with the seven ingredients to becoming a billionaire. So I really hope you guys enjoy it and don't forget to subscribe to the show. Here we go. Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? My company, getfeatured.com, will get you featured on targeted shows, will design you a custom bio page, pitch you to the host, prepare you for the shows, and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.com to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 102 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'm super excited to have my first billionaire guest on my show. The truth is that while I was preparing for this interview, I asked myself the following question. What separates a billionaire from a millionaire? In fact, once I'm asking that question, I asked myself, what separates a millionaire from someone struggling to pay the rent? Is it luck? Is it connections? Is it skill? Is it IQ? Is it raw determination and passion? Or is it something else? Well, who better to ask than someone who has made the journey to the top? Jeff Hoffman is a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, published author, Hollywood film producer, Grammy award-winning jazz album artist, philanthropist, and only one of only 2,000 billionaires in the entire world. Jeff has been part of a number of well-known companies, including Priceline.com, Booking.com, Ubid.com, ColorJar, among others. He also serves on the boards of companies across the globe, supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses in more than 150 countries. He also supports the White House, the U.S. State Department, the United Nations, and foreign governments on economic growth initiatives and entrepreneurship. Jeff is also a frequent keynote speaker, having been invited to speak in over 50 countries. He is also the co-author of the book Scale, a how-to guide for growing your business. He's been featured on countless media outlets, including Fox News, CNN, Bloomberg, CNBC, ABC, NPR, Forbes, Inc., Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, among countless others. Jeff has received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National CEO Council for his contributions to the field of entrepreneurship, and he received the Champion of Entrepreneurship Award from JP Morgan, Chase, Citibank, and Rising Tide Capital, as well as receiving the George Brown Award for International Cooperation. Outside of the world of business, Jeff has produced movies and musical events, including concerts, tours, and charity events with artists like Sir Elton John, Britney Spears, NSYNC, to name a few. So how does he do it all? Let's find out. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to bring to you the one and only Jeff Hoffman. Jeff, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. 
Well, thank you very much for having me today. I'm looking forward to it. Holy cow, that was a, I, I think that was the longest intro I think I've ever given a guest on this show, and I've done over a hundred interviews. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been happy with Welcome Jeff, but <laughs> <laughs> you are one accomplished human being. I mean, that's that's what, what you know. What I want to know: What were you thinking while I was rattling all that off? Like, what was going through your mind? Actually, you were making me tired. Are you serious? <laughs> it was reminding me. It was reminding me of the fact that I never sleep. All the time, I say I got to get more sleep, and then I say, <laughs> as soon as I finish this, this company we're launching, this film we're making, this whatever, I'll get more sleep. But I never seem to. Or I keep saying I'll sleep when I get old, and I just keep getting older, and I still don't get enough sleep. <laughs> that's really that's really funny. But do you ever wake up like in the morning and roll over and just bury your head under the covers and just think, okay, do you know what? Today I'm just going to lie in. Well, not enough. I do that sometimes, but here's the thing. If you are always working on things you're actually excited about working on, in mm-hmm. other words, you know, life is short. Why would you work on anything else? Yeah. Then the opposite happens. I say to myself, man, I'd like to sleep in, but I'm actually excited. I can't wait to get up. And, you know, I have friends. This is, I think, the privilege uh, of being an entrepreneur. I have friends who say, hey, I got to go to work today. And I say, you got to go to work, but I get to go to work. I can't mm-hmm. wait to get up and do this again. So, I think that that's a big key. When you're doing things you actually love doing and you're learning and growing, you can't wait to get up every morning. That's brilliant. I like that. But here's the thing, and this is, I guess, devil's advocate playing in my head. I hear this a lot from people who say, well, if you're passionate about what you do, then the money will come. But is it really true? Because you look at starving artists, right? You see people who are very passionate about what they do, and yet they're not making, they're not making enough money okay. to pay the rent. Completely agree with you. So here's the reason. That's not enough, but that is one ingredient. That's like saying if you have flour, you have a cake. (laughs) Actually, no. (laughs) If you have flour, you're on the way to a cake, and you can't make a cake without flour, but you're going to need butter and sugar and water and all those other things. So that's, that's my reaction to what you said. It's one of the ingredients, and you can't succeed without it, but alone that won't make it. Okay, so I think then the goal for this interview or this conversation that we're having is really to identify what's the butter and what's the, the water and everything else that goes <laughs> okay. in. What, what are the other ingredients? So we've got one. Well, let's we've bake got, a cake. Well, let's bake a cake. <laughs> let's bake a cake. The billionaire cake, guys. Ready for this? So basically what I really want to do is I want to reverse engineer your life, essentially, right? You've made it. You're a billionaire. So why don't we start from the beginning? Like, what were, Jeff, what was it like growing up? Like, what were you like as a kid? Well, so I grew up in in the desert in Arizona, in the West, in the U.S., in, you know, kind of a small town area. Um, The good news was uh, it was a nice, safe, warm place to grow up. (laughs) The bad news was I grew up around a lot of people that life was good and they didn't really want anything more. A lot of the people I grew up with have never left the area we grew up in. And that's fine for them. Uh, But I had big dreams. I I was pretty sure. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When I was a kid, we, had, we were told to read a Mark Twain book. It was a, a school assignment. And when I opened the Mark Twain book, there was a quote from Mark Twain that said the following. It said, travel is the, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm sure this mm-hmm. isn't exactly right. Travel is the fatal enemy of prejudice. And I read that. And what he said was, the more of the world you see, in other words, the more people you meet, the more cultures you explore and places you go, the more tolerant and accepting you become of the world once you understand it. So when I was a child reading that, I said, man, I want to go see the world. I want to go meet people all over the planet. And I want to specifically meet people that are not like me so I can broaden my horizon. Mm-hmm. So 
from the start as a child, I had this goal to be able to somehow design a life that would let me travel all over the world. So how do you do? So let's let's go to that. So then you you that was your childhood dream. Essentially, was just I want to travel the world. What was the first? I guess your first entrepreneurship activity. Like what did you what did you do to make well, money? As as a kid, now this is more of a function of growing up with a divorced mom with four kids. Um, oh, one wow. of the things I was trying to do is take pressure off of her and mm. just be independent. And being independent felt good. Meaning, you know, the kids down the street said, hey, let's go down to the mall and see a movie. And they had to all go ask their parents, ask mom, mom or dad if they could have some money to go to the mall. But I did everything from delivering newspapers uh, to selling seeds, garden seeds, door to door, to mowing lawns, whatever I could do. I was always out, and it wasn't about the money, it was about the feeling of independence. If I could just take care of myself, it's pressure off my mom, and I don't have to ask. So I was always very industrious, always trying some little business idea, even as a child. Mm. Um, but my first real entrepreneurial venture was when I decided to go to a university I could not afford. Um, and they told me, look, until you come up with the money, you can't go to class here. Uh, so it was a very bad start <laughs> uh, for me going to... Uh, I went to Yale and I couldn't afford Yale and you know my parents everyone else would come home go to the local you know state college like everybody else but I didn't want to do that because um, I thought that education was key to me starting my world journey so do you still believe that startup, sorry I'm just going to cut in do you still believe that though I believe which part that people need to go to to college and get a degree in today's world you know I, I think that that it is extremely valuable, and it's not because of the things you learn, it's because you learn how to learn. I learned critical thinking, structured thinking, problem solving, research. So in my case, I would say yes, because I learned so many basic skills that I was then later able to apply to everything I did. Mm -hmm. But I, I will put this caveat on that, you know, chart your course, right? And then figure out what you need to do to achieve your course. For the course I wanted, I knew that I needed, uh, you know, a solid education uh, to start doing these things. Um, but I think everybody's got to plan an individual course and make it work the way you need it to work. So I wanted that education and I couldn't afford it. And everybody mm. around me said, just come home. And I remember thinking, you know, you're 18 years old. It's the first real problem I've faced. And everybody's answer to me was just quit. Give up. It's too hard. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, you know, everybody's answer is just come home. And I wasn't about to. So I started my first startup, which was a little software company, uh, my freshman year of college. And that's how I funded uh, my college education, just running a startup. That's crazy. So what, what are some of, I guess, the key lessons that we could learn from, from your, your first startup? What were the key things that you took away from that? Well, I, I would say that the, big, the, the key thing that I learned was about the relationship between, you know, dreams and problem solving and creating value. Mm -hmm. I have this big dream. I want to walk across this stage at Yale and get this diploma that, <laughs> you know, seems impossible now and everyone's telling me I can't. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, you need a plan, an actual plan. How much total money do you need to raise? How much you need to come up with each month? Mm -hmm. What are some different ways you could come up with that each month? And, you know, what are some things you could do that actually create value that would people would pay you that amount of money? I really got got very sort of structured and sat down and wrote out a whole plan. So I think the focus on saying, this is the problem I need to solve, this is the solution I need to come up with, and then sit down and start going, exploring all the different ways you could get there. Uh, once I did that, 
um, I, my results changed when I got really focused on specifically what exactly do I need to do today? I need to make X dollars this month. How am I going to make that? What are all the ways I could make that? And then start going through each of those to see which of those I'm actually capable of doing. So being very focused on solving a problem. Mm, okay, cool. So that's another, I guess, ingredient for the cake. So, so far we've got the, you know, the determined, well, I guess, the passion, right? Passion is one thing. You've got to be yep. passionate you gotta about. Want something, right? You've got to want something. You've got to have something. By the way, can we go back to that for a second, that ingredient? Sure. What about people who are listening to this and they don't know what they want? They're actually not really sure. I, like, it's funny that's because. That's a great question. Right? Like, once you offer a kid all the candy in the world, they kind of stand there and they kind of, they get overwhelmed. They're like, oh crap, I can have anything I want. Like, you know, I, people ask me like, you know, what would you do if you had a billion dollars, right? I would say I'd probably go crazy because the, like there's so, I can have everything. I can have anything. Like I, I would just go, I just wouldn't know what to do with myself, right? So how do you overcome that? How do you get focused on, on one thing? It's scary. Okay, but by the way, let me address that because yeah. It, it turns out the first time I was 20 something years old when I might when we sold our first company for millions of dollars So, you know, I'm 20 something years old and wow. and it made millions of dollars and I learned uh, The truth about what you just You can't have everything you can have a bunch of things you didn't have before that <laughs> Which might include cars or houses, but you start to discover there are some things you can't have for example One of them is respect people really? don't give you respect just because you got money They give you respect because you earn it by the things you do and the way you treat people and what you do for others. But the other one, uh, the other, uh, there's a couple. One is impact, which you can't have just because you have money. Impact is the ability to positively change someone else's life. But fulfillment, you don't get just because you have money. Fulfillment comes from looking back at your life, and this is what happened to me, and saying, I've done things I'm proud of. I've left the world a better place than I found it by positively impacting someone else's life. When you just make money, you say, okay, what I've been able to do is continue to make money for myself. Mm -hmm. And you look at you say, that's my legacy, that, that I did deals and I got paid. Mm -hmm. And it, it feels, and it felt for me, I was like, that can't be it. There's got to be, so I didn't get fulfillment from just being able to close business deals and make millions of dollars. I got fulfillment when I found out uh, that it put me in a position where I could start doing things to help other people. And that's the stuff when I went to bed at night. It's not your bank balance. It's that message from someone that says, you literally just changed my life. Thank you so much for being here for me. That, you just can't buy that. You got to go out and do that. So, it, it, Well, you know, I mean, you, technically, you, if ahead. you've got money, you can do that a lot more easily. Like, I watched a video yes. the other day. Yes, there was a can. guy sitting in a restaurant and the waiter was like, you know, he, he looked really sad and he had a rough day. And the guy pulled out like 300 bucks and just gave him a tip. And the guy burst out crying. Like it changed his life because he paid, he gave him 300 bucks. Like when you've got money, I guess it's, it's easier to help people, you know? It absolutely is. There are a lot of problems in the world that it takes money to solve, but it, uh, you know, we, we might hit this later, but when I first made that money, I hit a day where I felt guilty. Yes, I wanted I to ask you that. Money in, mm -hmm. and my friends didn't. And um, yeah. it wasn't until the first time I helped somebody else mm. that I I stopped feeling ashamed, right? I, I'm not afraid. To, I don't feel bad about making money. I literally can't wait to go back to work and make more so I can help someone else. So yes, mm -hmm. money is an enabler for a lot of things. It's not the only one, but if you work really hard. So, so I have this wall in, in my office of thing. I write down the things that matter to me. One of them 
It says up there, there's two, I'll, I'll, I'll read to you right now. Yeah. One says, uh, there's no shame in life in making money. The shame is in not using it to help others. Mm, but like the that. other one underneath that, uh, is, uh, which came from the first time I did help someone else uh, and stopped feeling guilty about making money, I wrote down, your success is somebody else's miracle. Just like the tip that you just talked about. Wow. If Powerful. you didn't have that success, you're not helping that. You're not giving that person that tip. Mm. And that miracle didn't happen for them that day. And not only that, but more than that is actually I would say that you're selfish if you don't become wealthy because you could have helped people. Right. I, I agree with that. Right? I just didn't know that until the, I was on the other side of it. Mm. Yeah. Actually, one of the questions I had for you um, was... I sometimes like I'll go out with my wife to like a fancy restaurant right and I'll give you one I mean this happens a lot but I'll give you one example I remember I was sitting in a fancy restaurant and there was this guy who came out from the street and he was just collecting the empty bottles in the trash cans of in the restaurant so he can go and you know trade it in for some you know some money but like a tiny amount of money and I just had that pang of I don't even know if it's called guilt or what, but I just looked at him and I just thought, why? Why am I sitting here whining and dining like a king? And this guy is, is literally, you know, coming from the freezing cold and collecting bottles. Like, do you know what I mean, Jeff? Like, do you ever Absolutely. feel that way? Like, I, I was recently in Africa uh, and, and mentoring, uh, especially African youth. But when I went back to the hotel that night, because uh, they were living in some pretty poor conditions. I had that exact same thought. I thought, why was I randomly through no, you know, fault, no anything of my own, no involvement of my own, why was I randomly born a white male in the United States of America <laughs> and this person I was working with was a young black female in Africa? Mm. I was like, who, who writes this playbook? Why does that happen? And so I thought about it and... You know, the only thing I could think is that old uh, adage of, you know, to who much is given, much is expected. I thought, well, the only thing I can think of is maybe I was given this luck and this extra edge exactly for what I'm doing right now. Maybe the reason I was blessed this way is so that I would show up in Africa and help this girl at this, literally at this moment. Hmm. So that's sort of how I got over it because I thought, well, as long as I'm taking advantage of the fact that, you know, that I was given a better a better start. So I like that. So you're saying that the, the way really to, to get out of that, because I, I, here's the thing, I, I feel like a lot of the people listening to this, even though they may have not made millions or billions, but there's that complex of making money. There's that kind of that voice in the head that says, I don't deserve to make that much money. Like, why should I make that much money, right? Um, it's kind of like when you described how you felt when you made your first you know millions of dollars selling your company you you had that kind of period of oh my goodness like how come i have this right so i like the fact that you're saying well actually if you if you just look at it as an opportunity to help others then that's fine my question though and this is going back to i guess the ingredient in the cake which is you got to be focused right you got to yes. be laser focused and i love that so how Let's talk do you, about that one a minute because that is so important. Yes, yeah, so let me ask you the question. The question that I think that I was going to ask you, and, and maybe you know, you don't have to answer it. it this is your platform. Um, in in philanthropy, when you're when you're looking around and and you're looking at people that you can help, 
it's the same question. How you can't help everybody. So how do you focus? And I, the question really applies to everything: is how do you stay laser focused? How can you stay laser focused on helping this person? And by virtue of doing that, you're now saying no to everybody else. Sure. So that you know, I was struggling with that, and one day I saw a quote from of all people, Mother Teresa, and <laughs> some uh, man had said to her. Remember, she was like four foot nine, hmm. and in this incident, some man had said to her, was mocking her, he said, what are you going to do? You're going to go out and save the world by yourself? Uh, and she turned and said something that has forever impacted me when I saw this. She turned and said, look, if you can't feed 100 people, feed one. And that stuck with me because if 100 people each feed one, we got progress. So mm. I never forgot that lesson. Whenever I feel you know, too small to help all the people I wanted to make a difference, I remember... Uh, that every one person, every one life, and you think about it, what if I said to that young girl I was just telling you about in South Africa, I was only helping her that day when I wish I could have helped 100 people. Yeah. But I said to her, what, you know, what's, what's the plan? And she said, oh, I'll be the first female president of South Africa. She hmm. said, I'll call you back then. <laughs> and I started thinking, what if that, you're only helping one person, but what if that's the one person who cures cancer? Wow. What if the, what, that is the one person that does become the president and changes history? You don't know. Every single life deserves the same equal chance because you don't know where it will go. You know, that person, if you lift that person and help them and give them a little shove forward, who knows what they become and how many other lives they impact. So instead of saying it's only one person, what I always say is, can't wait to see the ripple effect this one life has on everybody else's life when she gets her chance. I love that. Um, and, and that's, I think you got to wait. If you, again, you can't feed 100 people, feed one. Hmm. And going back to, I guess, the laser focus, you know, how, how, I guess, how do you answer that question uh, for those well, people who, they're not sure what they want to do? All right. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll break that into two pieces. First, they're not sure what you want to do. I will say this. Sometimes somebody said to me, has said to me, you know, because we made some movies that were successful. Our last jazz album won a Grammy. Mm. Um, you know, we've done a lot of different stuff. And somebody said to me, uh, uh, they'll come to me and they'll say uh, either one of two things. Well, they're, they're, somebody said to me, you're really lucky. And <laughs> I said, actually, what I think I am is engaged. And what I mean by that is the more places you go, the more people you meet, meaning the more time you get off the couch and go out in the world, the more likely you are to stumble across that thing that you do want to do that you don't know. If you're sitting at home on the couch saying, I won't do anything because I don't really know what I want, like you were talking about some people are that mode, nothing happens. When you get up and say, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm just going to head out. And you're <laughs> engaged in the world. If you go to a conference, you should be introducing yourself to as many strangers as you can. Hi, what's mm. your story? Let me tell you mine. Who knows who, wh what you might find or who? Going to events that someone invites you to and you say, eh, it doesn't sound like my kind of thing. You know what? Go anyway. Mm -hmm. The more, again, the more engaged you are in the world around you, the more likely you are that one morning you stumble across someone or something and you say, oh my God, that's it. That's the thing I've been looking for. This is the thing. I can't sleep anymore until I jump into this. You'll find it, but you won't find it sitting on your couch. So I wow. wanted to answer that first part about... Uh, People that don't know what they want, that's okay. Don't force it. What was Just it for you, by the way, Jeff? What, 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 what was that for you? Well, I got to uh, go. Remember that my uh, uh, travel was the thing that I sort of had on my, you know, wish Agenda. board. Mm -hmm. uh, that I always kind of wanted to go see the world, but I didn't really know anything about it. And I didn't have any experience, and I'd never been anywhere. 
And I got to go on one trip, which was, it was London. Uh, but I got to go on the first time I ever left the country and went on a business trip, and that was it, right? So, you know, now it should be less surprising to you that hmm. uh, companies I was involved in, like Priceline and others, were travel companies. Hmm. Because How interesting. Because once I went... Yeah, once I went on that thing, on that trip, excuse me, I realized I was out. I was on an international trip. I was traveling, meeting people on the plane, wandering around London. I said, this is it. I want to be involved in the world of travel so I can be out and do this as a job, not just as a one-off chance to go to London. Brilliant. So my first international trip changed my life. Love it. <clears throat> so let, let's go back to that focus because um, mm. that's another cake ingredient for us. Um, people come up to me. And they say, Jeff, I got these six ideas. And I have to say every time, get rid of five of them. And pick <laughs> one you like best. And they say, but somebody else, well, they do mm. one of two things. They either say, someone else will take my ideas. And I say, you're right, let them have them. You'll have six more. Because <laughs> doing one six of six things will never achieve success. Um, and, and so they, and sometimes they feel like I'm giving myself six chances. No, actually, you're giving yourself one sixth of a chance now. <laughs> the, <laughs> this is brilliant. The key, to success, the key to success is being able to absolutely finish. So I'm going to tell you, Daniel, another thing that's on my wall. Mm -hmm. It says, ideas are welcome here, but execution is worshipped. And I don't know where I first saw that. I saw it somewhere. But here is why. Everybody has ideas and nobody finishes anything. Everybody's on the couch. It's Christmas. And they're saying at the Christmas party, man, this is the last year. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay at this big company. Next year, I'm going to go pursue my dream. And then next December, they're at the same party saying, okay, really, this time, <laughs> this year, I really am going to do it. And <clears throat> everybody's got a beer on a Friday night saying, um, I got this idea. I'm going to go build this thing. And they never do. They never leave the couch, the safety. So a lot of times when you see people that made it, the first billionaire that I spent a lot of time with, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, he's not the smartest guy I've ever met by a long shot. And I asked him, I said, what was the key to your success? And what he said was, he said, I just picked up a shovel and started digging. <laughs> well, everybody was talking about it. He said, Jeff, I had no idea what I was doing, no business plan and no experience. He said, but I said, you know what? There's only one way to find out. I'm going for it. And he just jumped in and started building. The, the execution is the key. Everybody has an idea. Nobody builds it. The key to execution is focus. You have got to get this thing finished. You cannot be distracted. So every time I've been doing something, like when my very first company, we, we built these uh, the check-in kiosks uh, that you get your boarding pass at at airports. Hmm. Um, that was people you? Would come up, yes, that was my first time. Wow, that's I love that. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you, Jeff. That was, that's awesome. <laughs> it, it's funny because I still get uh, periodically people uh, will send me an email. Our text, they're running to the airport, grab a boarding pass. They'll send me a note that said, thanks again, oh, which always makes me nice. smile. But I, when I was building those, people would come up and say, hey, check this out. And you know what I would say? Hmm. I would literally say, if this isn't something that can help me print boarding passes in the airport, do me a favor and call me next year. <laughs> so when we were launching Priceline, people, you know, when I was there in the early days and people would say, hey, I want to tell you, show you something. And I would say... If this isn't something that will help people book a hotel on the internet, call me next year. You, you know what's have really to yeah. execute. You know what's really interesting about that as well is that I find like a lot of people when they start a company, 
they start thinking about all the other products and services they can offer because hey if i'm offering this service then well all of my clients need accounting so let me like open up an accounting service on the side right and everybody needs you know uh whatever it is uh you know marketing so let me offer a marketing like you know it, it's so easy to just kind of it it is right yeah, especially when you're a startup without money and people are willing to pay you for those other things but i'll tell you what I spent a lot of time studying and studying success. And, you know, this is what I found out. You have to, this is what I say all the time, you have to win a gold medal in something. It's a noisy competitive world. And there's, assume there's, you know, thousands of people around the world doing whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So the only way you're going to achieve excellence is to stand out, is to literally uh, rise above and be better than all those other people. And that just takes extreme focus to do. But winning a gold medal, the reason I use the gold medal example, is if you think of someone, let's say a girl that wins a gold medal in soccer, mm -hmm. um, on the soccer team, this girl did not come home every day, play some basketball, play some baseball, kick the soccer <laughs> ball around for yeah. 10 minutes, and then watch TV. Mm -hmm. She played soccer six hours a day since she was six years old. Being Winning a gold medal, anything is really, really hard. You're not going to do it at three products or services at once. So I started to study if that was true. And let me tell you something. I can find many examples of people that were disciplined enough to win one gold medal at one thing and then expand. And I just can't find any where people started with four services or products at the beginning and grew. Let me give you the quick example. Hmm. For years, uh, I, back in the early internet days, there weren't very many people launching internet companies. So I used to talk to a lot of them. I talked to Jeff Skoll and Pierre Omidar. They were launching eBay. I would talk to uh, Steve Case. He was doing AOL. I would talk to Jeff Bezos. He was doing Amazon. Amazon. But I remember one thing Bezos said uh, one time early. He, I said, what's the plan? He said, well, one day will be the, the marketplace of everything. And I said, how do you get there? And he said, basically, he didn't use these words, by winning a gold medal at one thing only. So I think for like seven years, all they sold was books. People forget that. He won a gold medal at books. He was so good at something wow. that you and I said, man, it's only a book, but mm. I love doing business with him. And we said to him, sell me something else but not until he became, quote, the best darn bookseller on the planet. So I'll give you one more. I had the same conversation uh, long ago with uh, uh, Tony Shea. His company is Zappos. Mm -hmm. And Tony literally said, we're going to be the best damn shoe seller on the planet. Once we win a gold medal at women's shoes primarily, then <laughs> we'll start expanding. So today they have women's clothing, accessories, lots of other products, but they got there by being the best darn shoe seller on the planet. So my point is be the best darn something. Whatever your thing is, pick the one thing you can actually win a gold medal at and be the best that <laughs> that it's you incredible. can until you've won a gold medal and then you can start to expand. I really love that. That's, that's literally gold. I'm serious. For, for those of you listening, if you take literally just take one thing from this conversation, that is just gold. And, and what's really cool about it is that you've got a major advantage, right? Because everybody else is trying to do so many things so if you're the only one focusing on getting the gold in that one thing it's much easier because there's no competition Absolutely. right if, if you think about it, and even though there are other people if you think about companies like priceline and booking early on people were saying things like you should sell luggage right <laughs> yeah uh, for people you should sell travel insurance you should sell all these things you know the priceline group which today consists of pricelinebooking.com agoda and others the priceline group Today, almost 90% of our revenues are one thing, just hotel rooms. 
the company said, let's just be the best darn seller of hotel rooms on the planet. You don't have to be the only one. You just mm. have to be at the top of it. Priceline, the Priceline Group happens to be the world's largest seller in almost 200 countries of hotel rooms. But my point is it picked its gold medal. Let's just, we're not going to try to sell cruises and vacation packages and all these other things. We're going to do one thing better, mm. the best we can, better than anybody. And that wound up being uh, hotel rooms. So, Brilliant. yeah, pick that one thing and go get your gold medal. So, so far, our cake is, it's it's looking good, right? We've got the, <laughs> we've got the flour. So, we've got... Uh, we've got, first of all, something that you've got to be passionate. So it's got to start with with passion. You've got to have passion. The second thing we talked about was that you've got to um, go out and actually do something, right? You've got to get off the couch Execute. and do something. It's no point sitting there. You can have a billion ideas, but they're all worthless until you actually go out and do something about it. The third thing was you've got to be laser focused. So once, you, so once, you've, once you're passionate about something, you've figured out what you're passionate about, then you go out and you start doing it, but then don't get distracted. The third ingredient is you've got to be laser focused, right? What's the fourth ingredient? So you've, you've, you've built your company, right? You've started your company, you've got your idea, you've executed, you're laser focused. What's now? Like, how do you really scale up? Like you sure. went from a millionaire to a billionaire, right? How, how do you, how do you get there? So the next thing is all about team. Uh, and this, this <laughs> worked out perfect. You came to this at the right time because now your idea is up and running and you got to scale it. Uh, the, the, the reason that so many people that I meet, business owners and entrepreneurs can't scale is because they're in the way. <laughs> they tell me, Jeff, I'm working more hours than I've ever worked before and I'm getting less results. A lot of times they'll start building and they'll plateau. They'll say, mm. I built the company up to three million a year and now it's been at three million a year for three years in a row. Why am I not growing anymore? And the answer is because you're the bottleneck. And yeah. so the solution is surround yourself with people smarter than you in every area that you're not a gold medalist at. And by the way, what goes hand in hand with that is quit kidding yourself, you're not as smart as you thought you were. <laughs> no, matter how, no matter how smart you are, you're not as smart as you think you are. And each, each of us is good at one thing. Like I have never, I have yet to hire an engineer who also does my taxes and writes marketing slogans, right? <laughs> right. It doesn't happen. We're all good at one thing. So quit kidding yourself. Just because you're the CEO and the founder and it was your idea doesn't make you good at all these things. You're still just good at the one thing you were when you started. Find people smarter than you in every other area and then get out of their way, right? Let mm -hmm. them take over. And it's the people that can't let go because they think no one knows how to do this better than I do. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. If somebody doesn't learn how to do it better than you do, you will never scale. So that's the next important key uh, ingredient in our cake to growing a big successful company is, again, to bring on people smarter than you, and then empower them and let them do their part. You go back to your position and let them play theirs. That's the only way you can scale. So a couple of questions on that, Jeff, because I, I get a lot of people who will say to me, you know, Daniel, the thing is I'm in a catch-22. Because on the one hand, I need to hire a team, or at least I need to hire a sales guy or whatever it is, a marketing guy, but I don't have enough cash flow. Right, I don't have the money to pay a full salary for you know a, a sales director or a sales guy. So what do I do? Right. That's sure. that. So how do you get around that? So you know, it's interesting because I'll have people literally say to me, "I'll have some entrepreneur who doesn't have any money yet," mm -hmm. and he'll say very, very definitively and conclusively, "No one anywhere 
will work without a paycheck. And I say, uh, excuse me, you are. <laughs> so apparently okay, there hold are on. people in the world because they say that to me. They say, but it's Jeff, that's because that's it's their company. You can't expect somebody who right, doesn't so that's own exactly it. the answer. You're going to have to share. Uh, early on, you're going to uh -huh. have to make this part mine too. Uh, you know, there are people that will take a risk for equity mm -hmm. and they know that they're betting them on themselves and they know that as soon as, the sooner, if you bring them on to build a product, the sooner they create the product, uh, the sooner they can get paid. So they need to get paid, but there are people that are willing to gamble some period of time as long as they're getting, as long as you're making it worth it. And the worth it is equity. And the reason is, I had this, this discussion with an engineer I wanted. He had a solid paycheck at a big engineering company. Mm -hmm. And I asked this guy, tell me what your, your you know, sort of, uh, this is little, I'll tell you literally the question I always ask yeah. people, just to get a sense of them. I say, tell me one thing you have to do in your life so that one day when you look back, you say that was a life well lived. What, what will make you at the end say, I, I, I used my time wisely. You know what he said? Hmm. He said, I want to buy my mom a house in Florida, fully paid to spend the rest of her life. I said, oh. wow, that's definitive. What's the story? He said, we grew up poor, and we grew up not in a mobile home like we have here in the U.S., but in a trailer, which a mobile home has separate rooms and doors. Mm -hmm. A trailer is just one room. It's small. Mm -hmm. And it was made out of metal, and it was rusted. And the snow came in the holes in the wall, and they oh. froze all night in winter and shivered. And I said, what would you do? And he said, I would lay there at night. It's just me, my mom, and my sister, no father. And he said, and every night I would look at my mom and say, someday, somehow, oh, I'm wow. going to buy her a house in Florida as a thank you for all she went through. Oh, wow. And she can live the rest of her life in it. And I said, okay, interesting. And the reason I'm telling you this story is paycheck alone is not everything. And that's what people think. If I can't give them a paycheck, they won't work here. So I said, Let me, let's do something really quick. We took out a sheet of paper. I said, how much is that house going to cost you? We wrote down a number because he'd already researched it. I said, tell me about your job now. He showed me his salary, less taxes, less expenses. I said, how much money can you put every paycheck into the mom's house fund? And we wrote that down. Some years you get a little bonus at a big job. We took taxes, cost of living out of that, and put some mm -hmm. money in the bonus. When we were done, I said, how long is it going to take you to save up enough money to buy your mom's house with cash, which is your dream? He said, like, 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> big company. I said, okay, that's one plan. Um, I said, now let's try this. You come to work for me at this startup. I said, for the next, I don't know, six, eight months, you got no salary. You're going to have to live off whatever you can. We'll scrape. Uh, but around that period of time, the product will be done. We'd estimated it with his help. And then we'll start selling it. We'll generate some revenues, hopefully, and you'll get paid. And I said, but here's your equity cut. I'm giving you equity for taking that risk. How much and I equity? Said, now, um, it was only percentage points, right? Less than, you know, less than 5%, I think. Was, wow. Was, was, that's, it might have been, that's it might a have huge been five risk. for him. <clears throat> it might have been maybe 5% for him. He was an early, 5%. he was an employee, not a co-founder. Wow. Um, he came on as an employee. But anyway, I think we did five then. I just can't remember. But, With no salary. But, but right. At the very beginning, but a promise wow. that the salary would scale up and I would do revenue share. Meaning okay. that. By the end of the year, even though his salary, he hadn't been paid it the six months, I was giving out bonuses as we closed big deals. Mm -hmm. So he was getting extra checks as cash bonuses. But anyway, we did the math, and I said, and we estimated, let's say, five years. And we did our five-year thing, and in five years, we projected selling the company, mm -hmm. right, some kind of transaction. And I said, all this is a giant if. And I said, but if it happens, you know, your mom has a house in five years, not 32. Wow. Um, and he took the job, and we sold that company uh, at, at, at the four-year mark. 
Uh, and he was able to go buy his mom the house. That's incredible. Um, and, you know, is that, uh, what are the odds of that? Of course it's high risk, but, you know, no guts, no glory, right? You can mm. settle in and say, I'll just wait out the 32 years, or you can say, I'm going to roll the dice and bet on myself, and he did. So my point is, their equity and, you know, and, and literally rev share, and there are other ways to pay people to make up for the 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 lean times they took by starting with no salary. It's, it's not as simple as no one will ever work if you don't pay them today. Love it. Wow. Incredible. So you've got your team, right? Um, what's, what's the next ingredient in the cake? Um, I think it's uh, really, I'm going to call it customer intimacy. Mm-hmm. You've got an idea, you've got a team. Um, you have to realize that no one cares, including you. By the way, one of my most miserable failures was because we were blinded by our own brilliance. Everyone <laughs> on our team thought our idea was brilliant, which would be great, except that our idea was literally to sell things to housewives that don't work, which not one of us was and not one of them bought anything. <laughs> <laughs> because when we, none of us knew how they thought and felt and what they worried about. That's so actually a very, it's a key lesson to learn because actually earlier on in the conversation, Jeff, you mentioned that the reason you went into the travel industry and you, and you, you, you knew that you'd make money in travel is because you knew travel, like you were a traveler and you loved it. And this, on, in the, con- on the contrast, you, you're not a woman, you're not a stay-at-home mom, right? And so I guess a little lesson for our listeners here is, is you know, it's better to get into a business that you can really relate to your yeah. customers, right? Absolutely. Um, when it's a problem that you personally know or have, uh, or, you know, ha- the, the, the deeper you are into the domain yourself, into the problem or the industry, the better you'll do. So that is absolutely uh, uh, critical advice. That doesn't mean somebody hasn't succeeded in something that they've never seen before. But if you go look statistically, uh, people that attack the problem they know uh, succeeded a lot more times than people that ventured into something they knew nothing about. Because there's someone Mm -hmm. else that knows the industry inside out uh, or the problem inside out. And they're just going to do – they're just going to dig deeper. But so uh, customer intimacy is so key. Don't hang out in your office all the time. Go hang out where your customers hang out. Right? If it's – uh, when we were doing an education project uh, at one point that I was helping somebody with, but we went and hung out at schools. We got permission to go sit in some classrooms. We went to the teacher's lounge and talked to, uh, listened to the teachers on break without talking. Then later, the next day, we came back and asked the teachers a bunch of questions. Then I sat in the lunchroom with the kids right, and listened to all the students talking about their teachers, their classes, and their lessons in the lunchroom. You've got to be immersed and now that wasn't my startup because I don't know education, but I'm just using that as the example mm-hmm. uh, that you've got to get customer intimacy. You've got to be in either you are the demographic customer or you spend a lot of time hanging around them so you really understand how to serve them. Well, well let's take Priceline as an example because I think that's a great example here where how do you do that with a company that your clients are really everywhere? They're, they're, how do you hang out with your – first of all, I mean, how many clients do you serve? You, you probably serve well, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands. What are you talking about With, today or back then? Well, back then when you started, right? Yeah, no, uh, right. Obviously a lot less at the very beginning of the company. But uh, still, even though they're Internet clients, um, we had a lot of people that would leave the office and go. I, I remember one time going with the... Uh, the original founder, the, the guy whose idea Priceline was, was a guy named Jay Walker. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I remember going with Jay to a discount shopping store. I think it was a Walmart or a Kmart. Um, but going to a store to watch, not only watch people shop, but to literally uh, sit there and engage in conversation. So you're not wearing the T-shirt of your startup, right? You're dressed like a shopper. You're walking around the produce department. You're talking to other people and then finding, trying to find people that travel and engaging them, the discount shopper, right? Which is your, uh, your demographic customer. You're trying to engage that discount shopper in a discussion of travel. So the answer is even then, in those early days uh, at Priceline and the companies that Priceline spun off, everybody in the team spent different time out of the office in the demographic environment where that customer was trying to talk to them about travel. Mm. Yeah, in fact, I remember actually recently hearing a story from uh, the guys from Airbnb that they actually went to to visit uh, one of the people that went on onto the site to uh, to book a, or I think they were a provider of a home you know they were they were offering their yep. home on, on airbnb and they went knocked on the door just to say hi hi <laughs> we're, we're the guys at airbnb how are you you know that's that's pretty crazy but you can't really it's, do that at scale i mean at this point no but you don't you don't need to because if you do it enough early on hmm. and you really get in touch and you really understand the customer then you'll know who your customer is and it will spread then later you just have to have uh, you literally just have to have good listening mechanisms, mm -hmm. right? How do you collect data? What, later when you're at scale and you can't go visit all these people, Got it. what listening mechanisms do you have? Do you have a, a, you know, a follow-up survey? A lot of people don't do those and it's annoying. And mm -hmm. when you fill out a survey, you feel pressure to answer. If it says, tell us something we could do better, I'm going to make use this example. And you're like, if you literally, if you were thinking actually nothing, they did a great job, but there's this big blank staring at you and you're supposed to be filling out the survey. So people make stuff up because they feel obliged to answer number six. When the answer was, I don't care about number six anyway. Uh, but people don't do that. So mm -hmm. finding mechanisms like something, you know, every once in a while I'll see a website, a website that has on the, you know, on the homepage, just a blank box that, that says, do you love us? And <laughs> if you just click yes, it takes you one second. Right. Or, um, you know, and, and, and if you say no, it just gives you one quick box that says just five words, why not? Again, all my point is, is they make it easy to continue to communicate and collect input. Have you seen these things now? Sometimes you're walking out of a restaurant, and it's a little touch button and a push button, and there's a red, yellow, and a green. That's mm -hmm. all they ask you to do. As you're walking out, touch one of the three buttons. Yeah. Right? So if they got a store that constantly gets reds, then they send one of somebody from corporate comes to that store and stands in the doorway the next week to talk to people on their way out. One that's getting greens, we don't need to talk to them. There are simple ways to make sure that you are continuing to talk to your customer base and learn from them. Mm, love it. So I'm, I'm in your kitchen right now, Jeff, and we've got this, this bowl in front of us, and uh, in it is a cake batter, and we've got passion, we've got get off your couch, um, and then we've got laser focused, so you've got to be laser focused, and then, <laughs> then you've got the team, right? That's number four. Did I miss yep. something there? Nope, you nope. got it. Team, and then we've then, got know your customer. So you've got to know your customer. What's what's next in the bowl? Um, you know, I think the last one probably yeah. uh, <clears throat> after that is is just operational efficiency. Is to constantly sometimes, uh, you know, I, I did this. I was giving a talk on, on on Wall Street, and I said the three most dangerous words uh, for any business ever to use are we're doing fine because now and now it's going well mm -hmm. um and when it's going well 
that's actually when you start to have a problem because you stop innovating and you stop improving. Everyone's like, we're doing good. Let's just kind of back off. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a bad moment when, when you start to say we're doing well now. So I think the last piece is continuous improvement is to constantly say, even though it's going great now, what's next? What new technology is coming? What new trend do I need to be aware of? I.e., as millennials move into the buying power, should I be changing the way I market and sell? Are they going to have different customer service requirements? Are they even going to like the same products? Instead mm-hmm. of waiting till people stop buying your product all of a sudden after years of success. And you're like, wait, what happened? And then you find out, well, the millennials don't do it that way, and now they're the buyers. You should not have had to see your sales drop to find that out. You should have anticipated it. So I think it's that continuous improvement process where you're constantly assuming that things are about to change, even if they haven't, and you've got to be ready for them. If you're constantly scanning the horizon for trends, technologies, changes, and opportunities, and never assuming that everything is perfect and your business can just stay like it is, then you will stay ahead of the curve. So but what about, let's say, I mean, I, I can, I'll share one thing about my, my personal um, career. I have a company that basically it runs itself and I don't have anything to do with it, meaning I just collect the money. Um, and I'll be honest, if you challenged me and said, Daniel, why don't you grow it? I'll tell you, Jeff, I'm bored of it. Like, I don't really, I don't. I'm not in love with it anymore. You know, it's like, it sounds sad because I built it up, I put my blood, sweat and tears into it. But you know what? It generates good money, good cash, runs on its own. And I've moved on, you know. And sometimes I get that niggling thought in my head going, Dan, just go back and like inject, just go and inject it and just boost it up more. But then I go, oh, why am I feeling that? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what I have learned. Uh, when you get to that point, it really is time to move on. I, I would not recommend going back and trying to talk yourself into being interested in it again. When, it doesn't even matter why. Once you feel that way, it, is, it usually is time to do something else. Whether you keep it or sell it, a lot of times I tell people, you know, they say, what's the right time to sell? And I tell them, as soon as you feel like you just described, mm-hmm. uh, sell that one. No, you're, you're, the business you build does not have to last, last the rest of your life. So right. the, the advice I just gave are people that want to keep that business for a much longer period of time. But, but you brought up a really good point. There's no obligation to do that. There's nothing that says uh, you have to keep growing and growing and, and moving that business. So, you know, I, I, we've had businesses that, that, you know, ran their course, sort of got you got, like you said, you got what you wanted out of it. You were interested in something else. Mm-hmm. And it's time to move on. And that's okay. When, you, when, it's not, when it's not lighting your fire anymore, go find something that is. And, and, you know, that is a good time to try to sell that business just because even though you don't have to do anything today, um, you have to think about the fact that what if something did break, something goes wrong, you're off, start doing something new, it's still going to come back on you because you mm-hmm. still own that business. Right. When, when, you, when you sell it, uh, you know, it, it's mentally, it's not, it's not on the back of your mind anymore. Um, and you're off. So if you get a chance to sell a business when you're done with it, I think that's a great idea. But even if you don't, it really is time to go start something else and try to, instead of trying to convince yourself you're still interested in the other one. Right. Cool. So when I posted on Facebook about this uh, this interview, I had a, a bunch of people reach out saying, "Oh, you're interviewing a billionaire. You know, can he invest in my company?" So I guess a lot of people listening to this might want to know, you know, if they do want to raise capital and they want to get an investment, what do you look for? Um, when investing? Well, so here's the thing, not just for me, <clears throat> for let me give advice to them first. 
Yeah. So many people, this amazes me. Um, <laughs> as I sit and, and you know, listen, I, I've spent obviously time on both sides of the table, right? For years yeah. I was raising money for my startups and now I sit and listen to pitches on the investor side. Um, this is what blows me away. When I ask you, who's a customer? You don't say to me, anybody with a credit card, <laughs> right? What you say is you start to break it down. Well, we sell to college students. We sell to housewives. We sell to people that travel. We sell to people that love cooking, right, and cook at home. People can say, they know what it means to segment a customer. Um, <clears throat> so it's not anybody with a credit card. Um, mm -hmm. When I ask them, uh, who's an investor? <clears throat> Excuse me. An investor apparently is anybody that has the word investor on their business. They say anyone with money. Anybody that says I'm an investor is therefore an investor. Mm -hmm. So I literally went to a pitch once with somebody that asked me, will you sit in on this pitch we're giving to investors and give us critique? They had a two-hour time slot. Five, they start pitching. We're five minutes. And the investor says, hold it, wait. Is this a software play? And they said, yeah, we build software. And he said, we don't do technology investments. Oh, Thank you. God. Oh, man. And they just walked out. And I said, excuse my language, how the hell could you not know that? <laughs> I said, what research did you do? And they said, well, it says, you know, Johnson & Smith Investment Fund. So we needed an investor, so we went to an investment fund. Right. I, so, uh, again, the, my advice to anybody listening is an investor is not an investor is not an investor. They have very specific interests. They have very specific backgrounds. They have market segments they love, market segments they hate. Mm -hmm. You should be doing your homework. If your startup is a travel startup – then you should be looking to see what investors apparently love travel, what investors have invested in travel, what investors have had success investing in travel, right? Segment, start segmenting investors um, so that you're looking for the right people. When people bring me a medical device, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so I've stayed away from those restaurants. People have asked me to give them money to build their restaurant. I don't know the restaurant business, so I've stayed a a away from that. But all that's pretty obvious, meaning that if you did any <laughs> research on me or my site, not once would you ever find me talking about medical devices or restaurants. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, there's other people in the world, other investors that talk about that 24-7. So my advice is make sure you are researching and finding the person who probably will like your investment, not just somebody that says they have money. And as for me, uh, you know, we do look at a pretty broad cross-section of things. Obviously, I love travel and tourism, but... Generally, e-commerce and online businesses, that's stuff that we know. Consumer goods and consumer-facing businesses, uh, we tend to like a lot more than we do enterprise sales. Like mm -hmm. if you had a, a, relate, you know, a CRM system for corporations that, that adds on to Salesforce, there are people that are way smarter than, uh, than me about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to sell a, a, a product to a consumer directly, uh, how to market to consumers is something we know. So, you know, we, so we li obviously like tech. We like consumer. Uh, we like sports and entertainment deals. So that's a, a, an area that we spend time in. But uh, and just to give those on on listening an opportunity, if they if they feel like they fit that category, where do they uh, pitch you for an investment? Um, you know, I have a uh, probably the easiest way uh, social media wise. LinkedIn is where I am most of the time. But okay. I also have jeffhoffman.com. They can just go to my site and send info there. Cool. So this has been absolutely incredible, Jeff. My mind is blown. We've baked an incredible cake. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, if you were to lose all your money today, you had some freakish, crazy incident, and you just pretty much just went bust, what would you do tomorrow morning? Um, 
You do it again because we literally <laughs> just wrote down the recipe really? uh, for making the cake. And yeah. it was for me, it was fun launching, creating, building, growing. Um, uh, you know, I, I've never been obsessed with money anyway. But again, like you and I started at the beginning of this, uh, your success is someone else's miracle. Making mm-hmm. money enabled me to help a lot of people literally all over the world. You know, in the last few years, I probably. Uh, visited on sort of mission trips to 70 different countries. Um, that was the best part of my life, not making the money, uh, was was helping people. So mm. I would do it again to have another chance at doing this. And now that, I have, now that I've made every mistake you can make and eventually corrected them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think this time around I'd be able to get where I want to go a lot faster. But it was fun, the process. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed even the, even the down days. I used to tell <laughs> people, at least when you fail, you have an adventure and a story to tell. Versus people that have never gotten off the couch. You know, you can say, guys, remember that that time we thought this was a good idea? And, you know, everybody's <laughs> laughing. Even a failure is a, is a great life story uh, that you just don't have sitting on the couch. So I'd do it all again. Love it. Love it. I'm actually, it's, it's funny because you, you say that I'm actually writing a book called The Self-Help Addict which is all about getting off the couch, essentially. Uh, that's so awesome. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, well, I can't wait to send you a copy. <laughs> By the way, uh, the, the cake just came out of the oven. It looks great. What's the cherry on top? What's the cherry on top? <laughs> um, that's a great question to end on. And you know what I think it is? What is it? It's what's happening right now. It's meeting new people and building relationships with people that you would have never crossed paths with otherwise. That wow. has been... The coolest part for me, when I look back now, and like you said, if I lost every dime I have, I would still have, a, 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 I would be unbelievably rich in another area that I never saw coming, which is relationships. I literally have friends that are like family all over the world now. And those people add so much dimension to my life. And I have so many, you know, there'll, there'll be times where all it will be will be a call that from that young girl I told you about in South, South Africa. I'll do a Skype with her and I'll just be glowing all day just from having that relationship being connected to each other and what we give and get from each other in this friendship. So I think the icing on the cake is at the end of the journey, you will have met amazing people that will completely enrich your life in the ways, in ways you never saw coming. I like it. I like how you called it icing on the cake and I called it the cherry on top. But yeah. we, we see what preferences well, we have. just going to roll off if we don't put some icing on that. <laughs> Brilliant. And by the way, talking about books, for those listening, uh, Jeff, you've written a book called Scale, uh, which I highly, highly recommend my listeners buy. Where's the best place for them to grab a copy of that book? Uh, definitely Amazon. Amazon. Okay. So but head keep over in mind, to they don't just sell books anymore. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, I wonder if I can get Jeff Bezos on this uh, on this show. Anyway, Jeff, what's what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you? Uh, you know what? I still uh, probably email. Um, email. My okay. uh, LinkedIn, like I said, is is a good place. But I'll give you guys my direct email is just Jeff at colorjar dot com. C o l o r j a r. Jeff at colorjar dot com. I love Jeff to hear some of your ideas. Jeff at collegejar.com. And also, if you want to get any of the links to uh, the resources that we mentioned in this episode, you can head over to danielgeffen.com forward slash 102. Jeff, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. 
You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.